Good morning. I'm excited about this opportunity. I hope, um, I hope you're excited about all of these. I'm, I look very much forward to the different speakers. And uh, these, are, these are great lessons that we're, we're about to get into. So this is an opportunity to hear different people speak. It gives us an opportunity to learn. Lessons that we've probably read and, and thought about, but maybe see a little different perspective on them. And our text will be Matthew 13 today. But I wanted to um, remind you of one thing, is that uh, we are in January, it's the beginning of the year, so this is a time that we kind of renew our focus on what's important, on, on things above. And I want to tell you, I want to start off with a little story there's a man, middle-aged man, that um, had a dream. His, his, uh, he had an uncle that had this Daytona Challenger. He was a young boy. He thought the car was really cool. He got into classic muscle cars. And this was a dream of his to own this Daytona Challenger. 1969, it was a, a cool car. He had a couple of old muscle cars that were projects he was going to uh, have to kind of work on and, and um, try to make something of them. And, um, but his pursuit was this 69 Daytona Challenger. And he, he looked on the internet. Um, he was scanning Craigslist and eBay and all of those. And he found out from a friend of a friend of someone in Kissimmee that had this 69 Daytona Challenger uh, Charger that he'd been dreaming about. So he, he got in his car, went to Kissimmee, and met this widow woman that her husband, this was his passion, this, this car, and he had, um, he had told her that this car was really going to be worth something one day. And so, you know, he had deceased, and she, was, she had no use for the car. It was his passion, not hers. So she was going to get rid of it, but she had enough wisdom to know that this car had some value, and she wasn't going to just give it away. So she was asking 20-some-odd thousand dollars for this car that was an old car and didn't look all that impressive sitting in the barn for years and years. But this middle-aged man really wanted this car. This was his dream. This was his, his goal, his passion. So he sold his project cars so he could afford the, the 20-something thousand, and he bought this car. And it was everything he thought it would be. He had, he had some work to do on it, change the fluids, the tires, clean it up. Um, had some, you know, it was a little bit of a project. But uh, fast forward, and this 69 Dodge Charger sold in an auction for $990,000. That's a pretty good sum of money for most of us. I, I think uh, y'all would find that to be worth a lot of money. So, you know, it, to him, it was obviously worth selling his project cars, 
to buy this car. That story is what you might call a modern-day parable. I want to get into um, the parables of Jesus, and, and more specifically Matthew, and just going back to uh, defining what is a parable. A parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson as told by Jesus in the Gospels. It's a teaching tool used by Jesus to help the audience better grasp or understand his lesson. Jesus knew his audience and he used illustrations to help the people better understand his story. When he was, had farmers in the crowd, he would give examples of farming. When he had uh, fishermen in the crowd, he'd give examples of fishing. Merchants, he understood their business and he would use those examples to, to get his lesson across. It's not just a story to wow you, but it's a story to teach. And, and that's what we want to focus on today. You know, it's, it's interesting, and, and I didn't really realize this until I got into the study, and that Matthew is the only gospel that uses the kingdom of heaven. God. And it's probably that Matthew used kingdom of heaven because it was more understandable to the primary Jewish readers. The Jews would not speak of God's name and would often substitute heaven when referring to him. He goes on to say there's no significant difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. The one phrase emphasizes the sovereign ruler of the kingdom and the other emphasizes the kingdom itself, but they are the same kingdom. So, let's, another interesting thing about this um, text in Matthew is, if you look at Matthew 13, it starts off the chapter with a parable of the sower. And he's talking to who? Large crowds, right? Uh, he had to get in a boat because the crowds are so large. But after the crowds disperse, the disciples go to him and want to know why he's talking in parables. And he gives them a, a lesson that's just for them, and that's this kingdom of heaven lesson. And I think what you'll find is that he does this because it's of such value. It has so much worth, and as they're the teachers, they're the ones to advance the gospel, they need to understand how important this is. And we as Christians need to understand how important the kingdom of heaven is. So, let's start looking at the text. Matthew 13, starting in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Imagine this poor man, and I, I assume he's rather poor. He's actually working for someone else. This is not his field. He's 
he's farming or plowing for someone else. And if you've seen how the old, you know, they didn't have these modern day tractors and combines and all this stuff. They had a mule and a instrument that you, it was work. And I, I've, I've used an auger, that's enough work. I can't imagine what a, a plow, what that's like. But he's got this, he's plowing this row and he, he hit something hard in the ground, and it's treasure. It's, it's uh, something he, he starts looking at and gets real excited that he has found this treasure. So what does he do? He goes and sells all he has, and he buys that land so that he can possess that treasure. And it's an interesting thing, it, it, it might, in our culture, it might seem a little um, unethical maybe, that we would find something on someone else's property and not tell them about it, and then it would seem kind of deceitful, right? But that's, it was not in the Jewish law. It was, it was, it was legal, and it was not considered unethical. And so I guess it's kind of like what we, you hear the term finders, keepers. It's kind of that mentality, and maybe that's where it came from, I don't know. But um, this man found this treasure, and in his joy, sold everything he had. In his joy, he sold everything he had so he could go buy that field and, and have that treasure. Um, have you ever found something of great value? something of great value to you. There's another story. Um, anybody ever heard of Asa Candler? I know Jason has. I might be mispronouncing his name. but um, It's a man back in the, um, well, late 1800s. He was a pharmacist uh, from here in Georgia. And he had a... a a peer that was a pharmacist that had this formula for uh, it was a, a lecture, if you will. It was a, it was to help people that had some minor health issues. Uh, it's supposed to be a headache remedy, if you will. Well, it wasn't really doing all that well as far as selling it, and the the pharmacist that had developed this formula was having some health problems, so he sold this formula to the, this Asa fellow. Now, I don't think Asa was looking to buy it originally when it was approached. I think he saw that there was some potential there. And he paid $2,300 for this formula. That was in... 1891, $2,300 was equivalent to about 58000 today. There was a cost. $58,000, most of us, and, and Asa was born on a farm. He probably wasn't loaded. $58,000 would be a commitment. It would be a sacrifice. Well, fast forward 32 years in 1923, Asa sold that formula for, make sure I get this right, 25 million, which in 
1923 is equivalent to 332 today. Anybody have an interest in what that formula is? Coca-Cola. Gigantic today. Um, so that was pretty good value for this Asa fellow. And this was, like I said, I don't think he was actually looking for it, but I think it's kind of, a, again, a modern-day parable that relates to this farmer. The, the treasures in that day were often hidden because they didn't have banks as we know banks today. So they would um, hide their treasures in the ground to prevent loss from fire or theft or, or whatever. So, um, you know, this man, in his joy, bought this property, claimed his treasure. Again, let's look in verse 45. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Similar to the first, but a little different in that this merchant was actually looking for this treasure, this, this thing of uh, great value. In the ancient world, the pearl was the ultimate gem or jewel, kind of like in the, in the more uh, Western culture today, a, a diamond, thinking of looking for a diamond of great value. It was, the pearl was not only very valuable, it's also very beautiful, and it was a way that they could uh, kind of show off the beauty and the value of the pearl. So this merchant probably had a little bit of money in that he's pursuing this pearl of fine um, value. And he would be searching the markets. And so when he found this incomparable pearl, he sold everything he had and bought it. And I think some way like the, the barn find, it's, um, you know, there, there's obviously a cost, but then there is of something of great value. And, and these verses, 44 through 46, focus on the value and worth of the kingdom of heaven. So if Jesus is telling his disciples about this kingdom of heaven that's of such great value, that we should probably pay attention, right? Then he shifts, it's kind of a transition to this next verse in verse 47. It says, uh, it, we're talking about now the parable of the net, and I'm, I'm sorry, I, I am not there. That was, my <laughs> that was my image for the treasure. That was my image for the pearl. Now we go to the net. And this is, this is a, a rather sobering verse here. Um, it says in 47, Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. They sat down, collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. The angel will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
You know, one of the things Jesus says a lot of times when he's spoken something of, uh, well, yeah, everything he said was important, but something of extra emphasis, he would say, those who have ears, let them hear. And this is a fine time for us to think about if we have ears, let us listen and hear his message. This is a time, kind of what Jason was talking about, that analysis, that self-evaluation. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see the light of the world? Do you see the image of Jesus? Or do you see something else? You know, we fortunately, we have the blood of Jesus that cleanses our sins. And, and we, we're not perfect, we're not going to be perfect in this body. But as Christians, what is a Christian? It's a follower of Christ. And if we're followers of Christ, should we not be looking more and more like Christ? as we have been in, in the, the body. So, that's a challenge for you to, to evaluate yourself and, and uh, ask yourself, am I a reflection of Jesus? Now, as Christians, we have a destination, right? Our destination is in heaven. As it says in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, as Christians, our destination is in heaven, so what will heaven be like? Yeah, we find in verse 44 through 46 that it's of great joy and, and value, of worth. It's worth finding. It's worth everything. We sang the song about there's nothing that compares. As Jason also said, it's all things new. In Revelation 21 it says, I see a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. It's new. You know, if you're getting a little age on you like I am, the thought of something new is appealing. You know, uh, uh, Janet had a new knee one time, and that, was, that really helped. You know, some might have a new heel for a... You know, it's, it's newness... Is, is pretty cool. That's, that's a good thing. You know, a new start. Sometimes we just really blow our decision making and getting an opportunity for something, a new start, is, is really exciting. Another thing that's real appealing about um, heaven is in, also in Revelation 21, it says, God will, there's no tears or pain. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. I bet if you asked John about being excited about no pain, he would be all about that. Yeah, we, we have pain. We have suffering. We have sorrow. We have grief. We carry shame. We, I mean, there's just things that, man, the world will beat you down. And when you're down, it'll kick you, kick you hard. And the kingdom of heaven, you know, a lot of this is representing the church today as one step 
with the second coming, the ultimate, the kingdom of heaven, the heaven itself. So this is an opportunity to have, to encourage one another, to have hope, to have purpose. People that are compassionate toward one another and uplifting, that's what the body is today. To help you keep your eyes on the mission, on the purpose. Focusing on the prize. So, with all that said, let's kind of go somewhat in a summary. I don't know if you can read that. But it says, uh, as, as we've stated, the kingdom of heaven is worth everything we have to possess. It is of unfathomable value. We, we can't grasp what heaven's going to be like. I just told you it's going to be new. There's no sorrow, no pain, no suffering. But we can't scratch the surface of what, how awesome heaven is going to be. We'll be in the presence of God, for one thing. We won't have any of the shame that we maybe carry around today. And whether we find it uh, accidentally or find it with pursuit, It is an urgent choice with rewards and consequences. As we said in verse 47, or as Jesus said, there's a net and there's separation. There's judgment. And as we have to make a choice, it's important for us to choose well. It says, um, the good fish refers to or those that accepted the gospel. And the bad evil is those that rejected the message of Jesus. You know, we're not good, but we're made good through the blood of Jesus. We're made white as snow through the blood of Jesus. Yeah, one of the things, let, let me back up because it's hard for me to read this. Ah, I've messed up now. Okay. I want you to see this uh, comment. The separation is not for us to make. I, I want to make that point. That is, let God do the judging. We're to embrace, we're to, to love, we're to gather we're to be um, the, the seekers, the planters, the harvesters. And um, it's not our job to judge, but it's our job to invite all who will listen to the good news and let God do the final judgment. We are ambassadors of God. The parables of the kingdom requires a response. And this, this is a little different from it almost sounds like I'm just repeating myself. One is, there is a choice. Three is, you've got to make a choice. Um, one's knowledge, understanding. One's action. Number three is action. And no response is a response. So if you think by putting off or not choosing, you've made a choice. There's a... Someone named Johann Wolfgang 
Von Goeth, probably butchering that, says, knowing is not enough, we must apply. Willing is not enough, we must do. The finder sacrifices all possessions to take hold of the treasure, and we can choose the eternal treasures, or we can be deceived and choose the fake, uh, the zirconium, if you will, the, the fool's gold. I want to read Solomon was a king that had everything he wanted. And in Ecclesiastes, the center of his message is God is purposeful. Everything else is meaningless. I want to read just a, a few. It says um, in chapter 2, verse 10, I deny myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Then in, verse, in chapter 4 it says, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. And finally, the conclusion is, now all has been heard, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. So that was Solomon's take on the worldly treasures. Douglas Hare stated, The parable instruct us that our response to the gracious gift of participation in God's rule must be total. Those whose eyes have been opened to see what God is doing in Jesus must commit themselves wholeheartedly in faith and obedience. So, what are you pursuing? What is important to you? What is your treasure? This is something I wrote some time ago. I just I thought maybe I'll, this is close to concluding. It's about priorities and are your priorities worth the investment? Priorities are about determining what is regarded as most important to you, whether person, thing, accomplishment, etc. Gandhi stated, action expresses priorities. So what do your actions express? Is it real easy to focus on the right now? However, we will not always be like we are right now. Things change. There are things that we have very little to no control over. Our environment can change. The economy can change. Our health can change. Our peers, family, friends can all change. Do your priorities take into consideration the future? What direction is your relationship with your spouse, children, parents, friends, and Lord going? What direction? Over the years, I've witnessed people losing jobs that were very important to them. I've seen property destroyed by tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, fire, etc. 
I've witnessed disease strike people without bias. I've seen tragic events that cause serious injury and in some cases death. In such events, so many have reevaluated and changed their priorities. I hope we all will reevaluate our priorities. Another word for priorities is actions. And consider is our investment, our time, our energy, our efforts, our money, are those appropriately placed? Mark 8, 36 says, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And Stephen Covey stated, The key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. So in closing, the kingdom of heaven is worth it. Are we pursuing it? Keep your eyes on the prize. Grow in your relationships. Grow with God and one another. Grow in your prayer time, your Bible study. Grow in what's pleasing to God. And as our theme for this year, go deeper in all of those things. Appreciate the opportunity. And Jason will will cover.